In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There, our Genesis foundation sprang from the will and word of the great I Am. Woven deep into these foundations are rich truths of God and man, sin and righteousness, life and death, and everything else of ultimate consequence. What God started in Genesis is now settled and completed in Christ Jesus. I have no, um, no data to support the claim that I am about to make, but perhaps, perhaps you will agree with me. We come this morning to Genesis chapter 5 in our study of these first 11 chapters of Genesis, and I just kind of suspect that Genesis chapter 5, well, I know a lot of people commit to read the Bible through. You know, perhaps you made a, a New Year's resolution or something not that long ago, or perhaps out of some, some desire or even uh, conviction on your part, you wanted to read the Bible through. And you know what I know? I know that there are, there are people that I have known who've done that, that have, have said, I'm going to start in Genesis and I'm going to read the Bible through. But here's what I suspect among those who don't make it. And I'm not here to heap condemnation on people. But I think among those who don't make it, I think Genesis 5 is probably what takes them out. <laughs> I think Genesis 5 does it. I mean, there's a lot of rep rep repetition. There's a whole lot of fathering going on, or in older translations, a whole lot of begatting. There's a whole lot of numbers and math. A whole lot of Hebrew names. Lot here. But in these reiterative refrains, I think at, at, at the very start, I want to remind you that, that two, two, um, two very big statements were made early on by God one a commandment and, and, and one a statement. Uh, early in the creation of, of man and woman, God directed them in Genesis 1.28 to be fruitful and fill up the world. Amen. And all of this fathering going on in chapter 5, if you, if you have uh, followed our podcast from last week, you, you've heard me make the case, and I believe it is biblically supportable, that by the time we come to the flood, the human population on the earth is more than a billion people, roughly equivalent to the early 19th century. Um, and I believe that is supportable with the, the lengths of the lifespans, the overlapping of generations, and the number of sons and daughters being born as the uh, bloodline of, of Adam and Eve becomes the human population of the earth. God said, multiply and fill up the earth, and mankind, in fact, did that. The other thing God said is, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And another refrain in Genesis chapter five is, and he died, and he died, and he died. Genesis chapter five. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. 
Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he had fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, there are two things I'm going to want to spend some time on beyond the boundaries of this morning, thus beyond the notes. I want to show you first the, this week, the mathematical precision of this chronology tells us the number of years between the creation and the flood and also gives us a hint that along with Noah, there may have been another preacher preaching the invitation to live in the uh, season of God's coming wrath that is the great flood. Talk about that more on Beyond the Notes. For this morning, I want us to look into this 
then to this chapter and see that three times in this chapter the, the rhythm is broken of, of this refrain of names and numbers, of, of fathering and dying. There are three moments that lift out of this chapter that show us something that, that we ought notice. Roman numeral one, the reality of created mankind on your outline, just in verses one and two. We, we see in verses one and two reminders. First, uh, in verse one, he made him in the likeness or image of God. The reality of created mankind, letter A, the image of God. Now, we talked about this some back at the beginning of the book of Genesis, as we should when the term first came up. The image of God. Books have been written, libraries filled, trying to flesh out all that it means that mankind is made in the image of God. I want to give you again a, a simplified understanding of at least what it means Three characteristics, they're not on your outline, you can add them if you want to, three characteristics at least of what it means to be made in the image of God. Three things that are unique to human beings as God's image bearers. The first is creativity. True creativity. That things come from imagination to plan to execution among the children of Adam and Eve. I know that there's a bird somewhere that'll pick up a snail and smash it on a rock to get to the, juice, the juicy part inside. But that bird is not creating. On the other hand, human beings create. One of my very favorite fiction authors uh, is J.R.R. Tolkien. I just love, love, love reading Tolkien. And I love reading about Tolkien as well. And Tolkien had a term that I very, very much like. Tolkien, who, who spun cosmic stuff in his fiction, Tolkien referred to himself as a sub-creator. I like that term. Tolkien believed that, that the living God who is was the creator, and Tolkien wouldn't call himself a creator, so he called himself a sub-creator. You know what? So are you. The impulse to bring into being that which is not. Whether, whether by writing, singing, designing, building, that is the image of God in you, creativity. The second is morality. Human beings have baked into us a capacity to intrinsically know right from wrong. You don't have to tell someone that stealing is wrong. You don't have to tell someone who's not a psychopath that killing is wrong. We know it. We know it before God gives his law. Humanity knew it. We know it in places where God's law has not yet been taught. Human beings know that. And these are not, these are not taught culturally. They're too universal. They're certainly not achieved evolutionarily because evolution would teach that anything that gives me a reproductive advantage over you is a good thing. And certainly stealing and killing would give me reproductive advantage if I managed to take all your stuff and kill you. Evolution would teach just the opposite of inherent morality. Inherent morality is a reflection of the image of God. And then eternality. Eternality. You have not existed forever. You came into being at the moment of your conception. But from that time forward into eternity, you are going to exist as you. That's not true of anything else in God's creation. You're going to exist forever. And what wonderful news that is for those of us who know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus in relationship today, you are going to know Jesus in relationship forever. Amen. 
I want to know him better. I want to follow him better. I want to serve him better, but I'm going to, I'm going to know him forever. Oh, but if you don't know Jesus, then your sin is storing up the wrath of God against you and you are going to encounter that wrath. And that wrath is so extreme and so severe, it's going to take forever to punish you. And you will be punished forever in a place called hell if you do not take the only means of escape that God has provided, the blood of Jesus Christ shed on a cross for sinners. And if you will turn from your sin, call out to him by faith to save you, he will. And you can look forward to eternity. Somebody get that? I love family gatherings more than anything. Roman numeral two, or actually the image of God, letter B, the gift of gender. The gift of gender. God made them male and female. The great, the single centerpiece, greatest cultural lie of our day. And what I'm about to say would get me fired from most university faculties. That's okay, I'm not working there anyway. It would probably get me arrested in Canada, but here we go. Gender is not a psychological construct. And I appreciate the appreciation, but that's sort of like if I said lemons taste like lemons. My statement is about that deep. We're living in the midst of insanity. We live in the midst of a culture that has convinced itself that gender is psychological. Gender is ontological. Gender, the, the ontology is that branch of philosophy that is concerned with the is-ness of a thing. That which is. And gender is on, on, ontological and my fear, and I speak now to those, those of us who are kind of, if you're in my generation, plus or minus a little bit, we did it. We set it up. Now, we inherited some philosophical things upstream, but what we did, and may, and may the Lord give us grace to repent of every time we've ever said this, and may we never say it again. We wrote in our leadership books, and we said to each other this phrase. We said, perception is reality. Dumb. Let me give you a definition for delusion. Delusion is when I cannot differentiate between perception and reality. Delusion is the belief that that which I am perceiving is reality when it isn't. So if I say, well, you need to remember, perception is reality, I have stripped delusion of its definition. There's no such thing as delusion. So when little Timmy comes home from school saying he's a girl, I can't tell him his, he's delusional, though he is. Because after all, his perception is reality. Well, we served it up and they're eating it. And <laughs> gender's a gift from God. Male and female, both created as expressions of his glory, both created to reflect his image to a universe who needs to see it, both Fixed ontological reality, not psychological delusion. The gift of gender. Let her see the greatest blessing. He blessed them. He gave them the blessing of provision. 
Oh, he has met, he has met their needs and he's met our needs. And he surrounds us with good and blessed things and beautiful things, his provision, his presence. Mankind can know the presence of God right down to this day. He has said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us, his provision, his presence his sacrifice. He started teaching it right there in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve scrambled around for fig leaves to cover their nakedness, God said, that's not how it's going to be. You're going to need a covering because you have greatly sinned against me, but the covering will be bloody and I will provide it. And so God provided animal skin sacrifice coverings for Adam and Eve at the very, very beginning and began to teach the truth that one day he would provide the ultimate sacrifice. That sacrifice has been provided in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has given mankind his greatest blessing. Romans 8.32 says that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. The greatest blessing. Roman numeral two on your outline, the reality or the relationship, the relationship that God offers to mankind. Verses 21 through 24 tell us the remarkable account of Enoch. Enoch, it is said in verse 22 and again in verse 24, walked with God. Walked with God. Every other person named in this chapter as we go is said to have died, but not Enoch. Enoch, centuries later, Elijah. Two characters in the Old Testament that did not die. Hebrews 11 verse 5 gives us some additional commentary on Enoch. Hebrews 11 5 says, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And if you read on verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please. God. Enoch, the man of faith who walked with God. Well, what I take away from that, letter A on your outline, is we can walk with God by faith with astonishing results. Now maybe, maybe we don't match Enoch's results. Enoch missed death. Centuries later, Elijah would miss death. There is a future generation. Believers alive on the earth at the time the Lord removes his church, there'll be a generation of believers that won't see death. Overwhelmingly, it's been appointed unto man once to die. And if you walk with God, I certainly can't guarantee you that one day you'll go for a walk and you'll just continue that walk straight into heaven without the benefit of dying. Certainly I'm in no position to make you that promise, but I do promise you this, you can walk with God with astonishing results. Your walk with God can have astonishing results. I want to show you a verse in the New Testament that I believe may be one of the single most important. It's hard for me to say a Bible verse is important. The Word of God is important in its entirety. But there's something God is saying in Galatians 5.16 that I think too many Christians miss. Suppose you are living today, and perhaps many of you are, living today with some sort of hook in your flesh. Some sort of addiction. Some sort of hang-up. Some sort of habit. Something you can't get freedom from. And the, the means to freedom has evaded you. 
and you have, you have worked on it and you have worked on it and you have worked on it and it's still there. Galatians 5.16 may be why God brought you here this morning. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now leave that on screen for just a second, please. I want you to notice something really, really important. Too many Christians treat this verse like there are two commandments in it. I need to walk by the Spirit and I need to avoid gratifying the flesh. Notice, please, that there is one commandment in this verse and one promise. You want freedom from the hook that's in your flesh? Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Had an old boy come to my office decades and decades ago and hundreds of miles from here. So the statute of limitations has run. I can tell this story. Old boy came into my office, sat down with me, and I, I knew him to be a Christian. I knew his testimony. I knew his faithfulness. And he said, Brother Russell, I've managed to keep it hidden from most people, but I've got a pornography hook in my life that I just can't get loose from. And I don't know what I'm gonna do. I've, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I said, Brother, I wanna, I wanna suggest something to you. I want you to come back in 24 hours. Come back and see me 24 hours from right now. And in that 24 hours, I want you to memorize Romans 8. And he waited for me to tell him what verse. I didn't. And he said, he said Pastor Russell, I, I, is, there, is, there, is there something in Romans 8 about pornography addiction? And I said, nope, but I'll tell you this. You spend the next 24 hours immersing your life in God's word with the result that you can memorize Romans 8 in 24 hours and I'll give you the first porn-free 24 hours you've had in a very, very long time. Because Romans 8 will not coexist with pornography. It just won't. See, you don't, you don't get rid of flesh hooks by tweezer work with, with behavior modification. You get rid of flesh hooks by driving them out by walking in the Spirit of God. Time in His Word, time in prayer. Walk with God. You may not avoid death, but you can subdue your flesh. You can walk with God with astonishing results. And I'll tell you this, letter B, this isn't automatic. Every child of God wants to please Jesus. If you don't want to please Jesus, you're not born again. You're going to die and go to hell forever. If you are not transformed by the new birth, you have not experienced the new birth. But not every Christian walks with God as they should. And I admit this is an argument from silence, but I think it's notable. This is the godly line connecting Adam through Seth down to Noah. And yet it is only Enoch who said here to have spe specifically walked with God. Be like Enoch. Roman numeral three the redemption God offers through mankind. The last few verses. Lamech names his son Noah in verse 29. Noah means rest. God will give rest and relief through Noah. Letter A on your outline. In his day, Noah represented the only hope. The only hope. There is coming because of the sin of mankind the watery hammer of God's wrath. God's wrath is coming. I believe more than a billion people are going to die. They are going to encounter the watery hammer of God's wrath on the earth. 
There is one means of escape. Get to Noah and do what he says. One way to avoid the coming wrath, follow Noah. Today, the wrath that's coming is not watery, it's fiery. But today, Noah foreshadowed, let her be the only ultimate hope, Jesus. For the fiery wrath of God is coming on this earth because of the sin of mankind. And if you're outside of Christ when you die, you'll encounter that fiery wrath right away. You're outside of Christ when he brings an end to this age. You will encounter that fiery wrath. And you can't escape it by longevity. You can't escape it by good works. You can't escape it by cleaning up your act. As in the days of Noah, there was one way of escape. And eight human beings out of more than a billion survived that watery wrath. Only those in Christ will survive the fiery wrath of the age to come. If you have never turned from your sin and trusted Jesus by faith, don't look back on the fools in Noah's day who laughed at that ark and refused to go in and think you are not in fact walking in their legacy. Jesus is the means to escape the wrath to come. Oh, turn from your sin and trust him by faith.